0: Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message.
1: Good morning again. Let me invite you, if you brought your Bibles with you, to take and open with me to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 23, so find your way there. If you're thinking, Ezekiel, where in the world is that? Go to the middle somewhere, find Isaiah or Isaiah, depending on where you're from, and uh, just kind of keep scrolling right. Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, and you'll be right there. Then I've got three things I want to show you on this message entitled The Man God is Searching For. And I want to show you these three observations. They're on an outline that's available on our church app. And you'll find it there under sermon notes or you could text the word notes to the number that you see on the screen. We'll send a copy of it to your device and you could follow along with us there. Three things I want you to notice with me. I want you to see, first of all, the current condition. The current condition. You mean current United States 2022, Chris? Maybe, but I'm really talking about the condition that Ezekiel writes into as as he pens this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The picture we just looked at in those first verses from 23 to 29 were pretty, um, pretty terrible picture, pretty terrible uh, assessment of the world. But I want you to notice with me that the cause of this terrible condition was not the presence of evil, but if the text is true and we can trust it, rather it was the lack of proper men. It wasn't the presence of evil. Evil's been present since the garden. The reason for the issue, according to the text, was that there were were not men to stand up and be men and to do what God had called them to. By the way, proper men is more about what's in the heart than about age or external appearance. If you're taking notes, jot down 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of a stature because I've rejected him. This is as the people called Saul to be their king, desired for him to be king. Here's what he says, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. There's something about the heart of men that God looks at and he says that I can use. Notice the condition of the culture Ezekiel speaks of. Now. It was written, by the way, just so you can put it in historical context, it was written during the period of Babylonian exile or Babylonian rule, somewhere between 593 and 571 B.C., most likely. So as we try to date it and figure out what's going on, it's written in that time frame, and Ezekiel was a prophet. And the story here that he picks up on takes place about two years into his ministry. It's prior to the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians and it speaks of the present and the coming judgment of God. The background that he talks about here that we read in chapter 22, the background of that you would find in chapters 20 and 21. I won't read those, but I'll give you a summary of them. God makes the charge. He says <clears throat> he says I delivered you from Egypt. And when I delivered you from Egypt, I gave you a command to put away idols. But they did not so I poured out judgment when they wandered in the wilderness I gave them commands to honor me only and they would not so I gave them over to the oppressors I allowed them to experience the difficulties and the judgment of that day I poured out my judgment so that my name would not be profaned in the sight of the nations Now from our text, verses 23 and 24. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that's not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. He went from Egypt to the desert wanderings to now you're in the land that I promised you. But the land is not as I promised you. He describes an unblessed and judged people, uh, a land that is not uh, flowing with milk and honey, but rather is experiencing the judgment of God. How did he move from God's blessing of deliverance and the gift of their own land to a picture of infertility and withheld blessings? He attributes the responsibility to four groups or classes of people. First of all, the prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God. He said they're responsible for what we're experiencing. These men have devoured lives and worked for personal gain, not for God's glory. Verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the midst of her. Verse 28, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. Smearing whitewash, here's what he said. They took terrible circumstances and rather than telling the truth about it, they put some spin on it and made it look better. By the way, he's talking about preachers. You get that right, preachers. I could hold up a mirror and say, who's the audience here? Me. He's talking about, he's talking about those who spoke prophetically on behalf of God. He said, they, rather than saying what's true about the world in which we live, they lie. They seek to pad their own pockets and and create gain for themselves. The prophets, he said, are responsible. Also, the priests. Priests were mediators with God. Not just as prophets were spokespeople for God. Priests mediated the covenant between man and God. Verse 26, her priests have done violence to my law. And have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they've not taught the difference between what's unclean and clean. And they hide their eyes from my commands, my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. God said, my name means nothing to those who are charged with the responsibility of discerning between the clean and the unclean. Of of mediating the covenant. He said the priests have forgotten who I am by their action the priests have failed to separate holy from common clean from unclean they made God common they brought God low to the level in which they were. You know I'd love to tell you that doesn't happen anymore but there are some folks when they think about the holiness of God they kind of turn away a little bit. In fact you might have been if you're if you're unaffiliated with, with the church and the way and the songs of the church to sing about blood, you may have said, oh, that's just terrible. Let's just talk about the love of God. You can't get a picture of the love of God till you realize what God's love cost him in the shed blood of his son. It makes me squirm too. But here's what they said, hey, 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 let's make God more palatable to folks. Let's let's not tell people you can't bring that offering or this. Let's just tell them everything's welcome in the sight of God. Pretty soon we can just ordain priests that are, never mind. Not just the prophets and the priests, but also the princes or the government. Here's what he said. He said, these folks are responsible. They're rulers, by the way, rulers on behalf of God. You say, wait a minute, I thought the Babylonians were running the show. Do you think they just got there on their own? Jesus said to Pilate, you'd have no authority if my father hadn't given it to you. He said, You're, hey, listen, for those of you who think God's will's being thwarted in the White House, you've not read your Bible. You've just been, you've just been listening to Fox. Fox ain't in the end times nor is CNN, or you understand, I know I've just upset some of your theology, but bear with me for a moment. There's no one ruling or reigning anywhere apart from the sovereign will of God. You say, well, what's he up to? Apparently, he's bringing pressure. At least that's what he's doing here. Look at verse 27. Her princes within her are like wolves, tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Oh, I've got about a 100 analogies that fit right now. I'll let you fill in your own blanks. Not just the prophets and the priests and the princes, but also the people. God didn't take away the responsibility of the people. They're not victims in this. These are everyday citizens he speaks of, fathers and grandfathers who forsook God's command, choosing rather than to honor God, but to get ahead in any way possible. Verse 29, the people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they've wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the wanderer, the sojourner, without justice. God said it's gone to there in a handbasket. And not as though he weren't watching, he's delivered it over. These actions of these four class of people are not the heart of God though. All four of them had squandered their trust and now the entire society, all of the culture is suffering. The reality is society then was just as broken as it is now. And, and I don't know that you can be in our culture, a more self-absorbed culture than the one in which we live in. By the way, God's got a cure for that. The cure for the current condition, then and now, was to turn back to God. Someone, though, must lead the way back to God's restored glory. So notice, secondly, not the current condition, but the call to action, the call to action. Verse 30, I searched for a man among them Who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I'd not destroy it. But I found no one. Now let me just say to you, that's a critical text for me. You say of all of these verses in Ezekiel, that's a critical one. They're all important, but this one is kind of like that linchpin. If you take it out, the rest of it falls apart. But with it, you understand what God is saying here. God searched for a man to stand up, to make a difference, to to stand in God's stead and lead the people rightly. See, the cure for what troubles us is simply found in a man who would stand up. That's why God searched for a man. Notice, first of all, it's got to be a man, not just a male. You don't, I don't want to be crass, but you were born male. I know there's questions about that. But you were born a male. You become a man. You, be, you can be born a male. Hey, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot. Oh, it's gonna get ugly. It don't take a whole lot to be a babby, baby daddy, but it takes a lot to be a father. And God's looking for men. He's not looking for some guy to wander along sowing his wild oats. He's looking for men to stand up and be responsible for the land in which he lives. God said, I search for a man. I search for a man. That's a sober difference. Males are born, men become. And men, listen, there comes a time when we all put away our toys. We stop watching things happen and we start making things happen. And if you haven't grown to that place yet, eventually you have to move out of your parents' basement. 30 is too long to live there. It's time to to grow up and become. Because God said, I entrusted this to you. And if it's a mess, don't look around for somebody to blame. Look in a reflecting glass. We're responsible. What did he want the man to do? He said, I looked for a man who would rebuild the walls. Now that's an odd culture for me, especially in the political climate where we live today of building a wall. Well, that's a terrible thing or tear down a wall and that's a terrible thing. But the idea that's here makes more sense to us symbolically. So let me explain it to you. A wall around a city was an important feature for two reasons. One, it provided protection for those who lived within. Men were to establish and to guard the boundaries of protection. Now, men, we do that now. We ought to do that now. As men, we ought to, we, we would, now listen, this makes perfect sense to you. We would never tell our children, hey, feel free to go run and have, play and have a good time, especially on that painted double yellow line in the middle of the road up in front of the house. Just go out there and play on it. Opscotch, there's good. We would never do that. In fact, if our children started moving to that, we'd go, come back. There's a boundary, you protect them from that. You'd never tell your kids to, hey, listen, see that snake right there? Just go play with him, I bet he's fine. You'd never do something like Some of you are going, well, I've done that. And, uh, not until you checked it out, the snake first, or you're a heathen. In fact, if you let him play with a snake, you might be a heathen anyway. I don't care what kind of snake it is, but anyway. That's a church in Kentucky. That's not this church, in case you were wondering. <laughs> That's not how we roll. But you would take steps to protect them. When we were, Jody and I were raising our sons, you know what? We did these crazy, totalitarian, archaic rule keeping at our house. A thing called a curfew. We actually thought our children should come home at a reasonable hour. Now, long past my bedtime hour, because I like to roll out about 9.30 or 10 and just call it a day, but I start for the chickens do. But listen, my kids didn't stay out past 11. I don't care what you do with your kids, but we found boundaries that made sense for us and we set them and we expected them to do it. You say, well, that's just so oppressive. How are they ever gonna learn about the world? I was a cop for 13 years. The world they learn about after 11 ain't worth much. There's not much to it out there that they need to know about yet. We wanted to insulate our children, not isolate them, but insulate them, protect them, help them to understand those things in the right context. Oh, it makes you such a terrible, how how are your kids ever going to learn how to make decisions? Hopefully they'll live long enough to make good ones. By the way, it seems to have worked. Secondly, the walls not only provide protection, they represent the honor of God. Jot down Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah, he's had a guy come from the, uh, from the home country. They're hanging out at a Starbucks. That's the picture I have in my mind. He says, hey, how are things back home? And he says, that's terrible. The walls have been torn down and the gates are burned with fire. And it brought Nehemiah to a place of brokenness. And, Repentance, Nehemiah 2.17, I said to him, see, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, who's he talking to? The leaders of the people. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Our nation by reputation, people say, do you think America is a Christian nation? No. If I hadn't made your friendship already, I'm sure I just did. Now listen, it's not a Christian nation. I don't know that it ever was a Christian nation. Is there an influence? There was. There still is an influence. That's why we're here. But to say that we were all godly and everything would be, it would be a stretch by any imagination considering many of our forefathers were deists, not Christians. I'm really getting your attention this morning, aren't I? But to the outside watching world, America is. See, when I travel to places like India and Africa and North Africa into heavily Muslim-controlled areas, their picture of America is that of a Christian nation. Imagine their surprise when they hear that in Christian nations that people get drunk all the time, that they argue over how often and how without restriction they ought to be able to have abortion, how homosexuality ought to be celebrated during June and they go that's weird that's your Christian God leads to that that's the reproach that Ezekiel speaks of to the outside watching world if we're representing God now you and I might sit there and go but we're not a Christian nation that's those people no it's us people we, we are that people. You say, well, that's not me. I, I get that. But are you one that God searched for? That's the question. See, our nation is often connected to the name of God. Therefore, when our nation goes so far against God, we carry God's name with it before a watching world. It's not possible to say live and let live. It's only possible to lead and let God. Not only would they rebuild the walls, but they, he said, I searched for a man who would rebuild the walls and who would stand in the gap before me for the land. That's the language of intercession. In other words, who would intercede with God before His face for others, for communities, for the nation, for his honor, for a cause greater than self who would stand as an intercessor before God, knowing that God's name will be honored even in judgment against those who would claim to bear his name and yet drag it down and through the mud. He said, where are the men who would stand in the gap between my judgment and the consequences here? Where are the men who would stand in the gap in the community? Where are the men who would stand in the gap among the people? Where are the men who would stand in the gap? Where are those people? He said, I search for him. God's searching for men like that. He's searching for an Abraham who would plead the case for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's searching for a Moses who would plead the case for God's people and God's name before the nations. He's he's looking for a man like a Paul who would wish himself accursed if those of his kinship could be brought close to God. Would he find him at your house? would he find so jaded, so hardened, so calloused that we could close the garage door and say, my neighborhood, my house is fine even if my neighbors are lost. He said, I searched for a man who would rebuild the wall. I searched for a man who would intercede for the land. Would he find the solution to what he seeks among us? Or would he find people that would just yell about what they don't like on social media and complain about the way things are to people who can't change it? God says, I search for a man who would do it. Friends, it's an important distinction here because as long as we keep looking outward for somebody else to fix the problem, the very solution in our midst goes untapped. You and I can't look for somebody. We can't sit back and say, God, I hope you send somebody to fix it. Because God said, I sent you. I'm waiting, I'm searching, I'm seeking, I'm pursuing you. The cure. We live in a world of our own making because men have not done what's necessary to guard and to protect and to honor and to intercede before God. He's looking for those who would step up and who would stand in the gap. What's on line with our response is this. Notice number three, the inevitable consequence. The inevitable consequence. What, what do you mean inevitable? We're following Ezekiel's story. We stopped at verse 30, but notice what verse 31 said, "When God said, "I searched for a man, but I didn't find one." Verse 31. thus. I've poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. God's wrath, His judgment, which preserves the honor of His name, is coming. And not in an undeserved way, it's deserved. That's why He said in that second phrase, their way I've brought upon their head. I, I, I know you made your bed, and, and I could just tell you to lie in it, but the only reason you're lying in it is because there's men out there who won't stand up and take responsibility to turn the course. You, you can't elect one and say, if we just get the right guy to put his stuff in the closet in Pennsylvania Avenue. You can't complain that there's it's got to be a better pastor or priest that we've got to change something this way or that way the solution is the one you shave in the mirror that's the answer it's time to stop looking outward for the answer when God said look in the mirror at the answer I searched for the man but I couldn't find him Would you find him in your home? Sir Edmund Burke, famed for this quote often, when he says, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to stand by and do nothing. In a culture as ours, all that's necessary for the judgment of God to be felt in its fullest magnitude is for good men, for godly men to sit by and do nothing. At the same time, there's an implication here. The implied effect, if godly men answered the call, it's also present here. If men would stand up and would intercede for the land and would restore the walls and would rebuild his honor and would lead as God had called them and would draw distinction between the clean and the unclean, between the vain and the holy... If good men would stand up, then God's judgment would not be poured out, but His glory would be manifest. You say, well, I thought the world was just going to go to the bad place. Why, does it, why would we yield to that in our generation? And why, if that's the case, if all God wants to do is sit back and sip an umbrella drink and watch it happen, why did He say, I was looking for somebody to do something about it? He's not stopped looking. The implication is, is that if men will stand up and answer the call, the downward spiral and all that it entails can be and would be avoided. And by the way, such is the consistent testimony of Scripture. For time's sake, let me give you just one verse, probably familiar to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. As Solomon... Pins this it's at the tail end of a prayer where he says if because of our wickedness the land does not produce if because of our wickedness our 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 uh, our women do not bear children if because of our wickedness our oppressors come and step in and we should hear from you we should return to this place this temple this this place of meeting that's dedicated to you on this day would you hear from us And God says, and my people who are called by my name, if they'd humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, when, then, when? After they humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from wickedness, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then. Well, Chris, why don't you think that's happening today? I don't know that we've satisfied the if before the then. So you can't hold on to wickedness and ask God to bless it. It's against his nature. It's against his counsel. It's against his word. It's against his very being. We must stand up. We must Separate ourselves in that way. God doesn't desire our destruction or our suffering, but rather our dependency as sons. And listen to me for a second. People don't lead themselves. People don't lead themselves. I sit around with a bunch of nerdy pastor types a lot, had been doing it for a while, hung out in seminaries where we sat around and just talked about stuff with coffee in our hands all the time and we talk about things and sometimes people would say stuff like, well, you know, if God really wanted it, he'd just do it. But you know, when God really wanted it, he always did it through somebody. Moses was a stuttering little buzzard on the most wanted list in Egypt. And God said, you. David was a runt, so runty and good looking and ruddy that his daddy didn't even bring him in from the field when they were looking for a king. And God said, him. Don't say you can't when God says I can But don't say he doesn't when the issue is you just don't. Because he cares and it matters and his name is at stake. God knows what's best. He knows how to restore what's broken and he picked you and me for it. So let's not say to God, you know, Lord, my family's lost. I hope you'll do something to reach them. Rather, let's be the instruments of redemption and reconciliation to go and restore. You say, I hope somebody sure does get my wayward son. Hey, God's called somebody. I've tried and I can't do it. I'm glad Jesus didn't say that the times I denied him. Well, I tried to get you, Chris. You just wasn't listening. So I was waiting for something better. He kept going and going and going and going. He so, said, man, my marriage is in ruins. Well, I just, probably best for me, Chris, just to start over. You know, except God desires to bring life to that which is broken, to bring restoration and redemption. Why not? Pursue him in his will and way, because I don't like what he said. I don't want to do all that stuff. Maybe you ought to quit blaming her. Then I wish God had saved it for me. Maybe He's called you to make it better. Man, if she was she was easier to get along with, I could do that. If you led better, she might be easier to get along with. I'm just going for the trifecta of popularity today. Hey, listen, don't say my nation's just incorrigible and unredeemable. Don't say my nation's going to hell. You get up and you scrap and you scrape and you dig and you dig in and you prod and you pull and you lead and you plead. So that if, as Spurgeon said, the the lost world were to go into hell, make them leap over our cries and our pleading bodies, which would be laid down before them to block their way. It's time we stop looking outward for another answer. It's time we look in here and hey, listen, You can't, but he can. I searched for a man who would rebuild the walls and intercede for the land, and I found you and you and you and you. What God has given us the power of, the power over is to say yes, to his call when he searches. Would you do that today? Pray with me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com/next or give us a call at 252 252- Nine three seven eight two five four, 8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week, and until next time, may the Lord bless you.